you just bow your head with me this morning? Lord, we thank you for salvation. We thank you for just the ability to be in this place and, and just to praise you again and again. Uh, Lord, uh, it's all that, all that we have is, is a hallelujah. Lord, that nothing that we do is sufficient. Uh, we can't earn it. And Lord, let yeah, you continually lavish us with grace and with mercy. And so, Lord, I pray that you would use your word this morning to speak to us. Lord, I pray that we would not leave this place unchanged. God, that as we enter in each and every week, I pray that you would continue to do something in and through us. Lord, that we'd understand who you are and we'd understand what word to do in response to what you've already done. And so I pray for those that may be far from Christ this morning, and just ask that you would touch their heart. And Lord, that they'd return and find healing and open arms. We give you our time together. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, you can have a seat this morning. Again, thanks for, for being here. Um, we are in a series that we began last week, and we titled it, Is My Faith Working? Is my faith working? And so uh, how many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, this is gonna be a rhetorical question, but uh, how many people have ever done the right thing for the wrong reason? Anybody ever done the right thing, but for the wrong reason? Your, your, your motivation was, was off. Right thing for the wrong reason. I think about this in my own life. You know, I, um, it was probably two years ago, which I hadn't been married long, uh, but again, I, I had forgotten uh, our anniversary. And so what did I do? Well, on the back side of that, I went and bought flowers for my wife. I'm like, well, let me make up for this. Uh, and so it's a, that, that, that's what I'm talking about here, right thing, wrong motivation. Uh, I did the right thing, what I should have done on the front end, uh, but my motivation was wrong because I had forgotten our anniversary. Or, or, or maybe, uh, ladies, for you, uh, right, today's Sunday, and so you'll go home this afternoon, and maybe your husband wants to watch football. And so uh, what you will say is, well, you can watch the game if you do X or if you do Y. And so, again, you can see kind of the undercurrent, the motivation behind what we're doing is really jaded because uh, there's a selfish motive attached to it. Or we do this all the time, right? Anybody uh, been to the store and you buy something at Walmart or I was at, I bought a sandwich from Jersey Mike's yesterday and at the end of it, right, there's a prompt and it's like, would you like to round up or donate to name your cause? Well, this is a good action, but how many of us just like you inherently donate because you feel bad? And you're like, I feel guilty saying no, and, and so I'm, I'm going to do this good deed. And, and you see, this is just kind of the way society works. Or, or, or the person that feeds the homeless and takes a video of it to post on social media. This, this happens all the time because this is the way our culture works. It's give to get. It's serve to be served. And so if we're not careful, that's what we talked about last week. We have to have a right understanding of the way God works. Because is this the way that the God of the universe works, that he's transactional? He's, do this and I'll give you this, or I will only give you this if you do this. And if that's not the way that God works, then we need to be in tune with the way he works so we can effectively do what we've been called to do. And so I, I titled the message this morning, uh, What's My Motivation? What's My Motivation? And uh, I, I think of this question, I've, I've thought of this question this week as it pertains to the passage that we'll be in this morning, because I think along the way somewhere, we've gotten it confused in thinking that it is about deeds. It is about doing things, 
And listen to me this morning, it's never been about what you do, but it's always been about what he's done. The, the law was given in the Old Testament. Sometimes I think that G, we think Jesus came onto the scene in the New Testament and he raised the standard of the law in the Sermon on the Mount. But actually what he was doing was just communicating what the law had already spoken. If you read back in Deuteronomy chapter 15, they had set up what's called sanctuary cities. For people, this may be familiar to you that if you had murdered somebody inadvertently, accidentally, then you could seek refuge in this place. And so all along the way, like we think it's just, hey, don't murder, don't murder. Then Jesus comes onto the scene and he says, well, it's actually about hating a brother in your heart. But Deuteronomy 15 said the same thing. But you shouldn't hate your brother in your heart because then, right, then the accident is no longer an accident because it's birthed out of the motivation that you have in your heart. It's always been about the heart. It's never been about the actions. This is why, I don't know if you've ever considered this, this is why a man with no arms can, can still steal. Like, does that make sense? Like, even with no, maybe physically you can't take something, but it begins in the heart. And, and so theft begins in the heart. And so again, I think along the way, somewhere, we've gotten it confused, and we, we think that we're saved by grace, but we're sustained by works. Or, or, or that, or that our, our salvation and our sanctification are both tied to the things that we do. And, 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 it, and it's never been about that. You're, you're saved by grace, by the mercy of God in your life, and you're sustained by grace and the mercy that he has for you in your life. And so here's the question that I'm going to pose overarching our time together this morning. Is your motivation grace or is it greed? Is, is your motivation in life grace or is it greed? And we'll see it this morning in our, in our text. We'll be in James chapter 2. And so here's what I want to do. Because <clears throat> if you've been around church for any amount of time, you've probably heard James 2 talked about. And maybe you've wrestled with this idea in your own mind. Faith and works. Faith and works. Like, like how do these two coincide? And, and, and it was Martin Luther early in church history who said James shouldn't be a part of the Bible. <clears throat> because James is in direct contradiction to the words of Paul. Where Paul says you're saved by grace through faith alone, not of works, lest any man boast. And then James comes onto the scene, and it seems like he's saying, well, no, you got to have some works. you got to do some things. And so what I, what I want to do this morning is just pose that question to you. Keep it in the back of your mind as kind of an umbrella across our time together. What is my motivation? What is the driving force behind the things that I do? Here's the way I want to structure our time, okay? So I just want to <clears throat> preface it on the front side so you're aware of kind of what I'm thinking and how I plan on attacking this. I want to take 15 minutes or so, <clears throat> and I want to try to dissect and talk through the section in chapter 2 that I think sometimes is confusing, 14 through 20, verse 14 through 20. And so um, you'll be sitting there, and maybe you're thinking, like, I don't know how this is applicable in my life, <clears throat> and I don't know what I'm to do with this. And I hope on the back side to provide you with some practical application of how this text meets us where we're at today. <clears throat> and so, excuse me. So here's what I want to do. <clears throat> if you have your Bible, go to James chapter 2, and let's look at this together. Uh, I want to read a few verses from this section that maybe you're familiar with, but then I want us to, to really tease it out. This is what James says in chapter 2, verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works. Can faith save him? Skip down to verse 17. Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Then jump down to verse 20. He's just reiterating the same thing. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? So we have this tension in this passage 
faith works. Faith and works. And if you notice, <clears throat> the reason we titled the series, Is My Faith Working?, is because that's exactly the language James uses. He says, if a man has faith, but it. And so the question is, what, like, what's the it? Is it the man or is it the faith that has the works? And James is going to address this in two and say, it's the faith. It's not the man that has to have works, it's the faith. And so the question becomes, well, okay, okay like, what, are, what are these works? And again, maybe you've heard the traditional logic, and, and maybe this is the way you've been accustomed to reading this. And I don't know, maybe it's caused confusion in your life, or maybe you've settled the matter. And I've, I've settled the matter in my heart because the question becomes, okay, is this a salvation issue? Like, are, are, you, are you saved by works? And is that where Paul is contradicting James? And I would say the answer to that question is no, you've always been saved by grace through faith. James, remember, keep the context. We talked about this last week. Who is James addressing? Who is he talking to? He uses it over and over and over again in this book. My brethren, my brethren, my brethren. Like 20 times in this book, he says, my brethren. And so we have to keep that context when we're reading this book. Because again, if we're not careful, we'll jump to the conclusion, well, he's, he's saying that faith without doing some good stuff means you're not saved. Well, he's, he's talking to believers here. And, and so how, how does that logic check out? And so then, then, then you'll hear this, well, James is complimenting Paul because like, if, you're, if you're saved by grace through faith, then you still have to, you still have to do some stuff. Like there has to be some good stuff to, to prove your faith, to, to prove your salvation. And I would ask the question this morning, how does the thief on the cross fit into that theology? And maybe if you, don't, if you don't know the story of the thief on the cross, Jesus is crucified and next to him is a man who all he does, the only thing he does is declare faith in the Son of God. And he says, remember me this day when you enter in to paradise, to your kingdom. And Jesus says, assuredly, I say to you, this day you will be with me in paradise. And so do you see the tension, the, the struggle that we're faced with? Like, okay, so, so like, how, how, does, how, how does this man on the cross who did nothing good, how does this fit into the theology of, well, well your faith, you're saved by grace, and, and you gotta have some stuff to prove the fact that you were saved. And, and I think some people would say, well, you didn't have the opportunity. You didn't have the opportunity to do good things. Well, that's not what the text says. The text doesn't say, uh, what does it profit if someone says he has faith but doesn't have a, an opportunity to do good things, how does that faith save him? And so, like, I, I hope I'm presenting this conundrum for you this morning. Like, how do we make sense of James chapter 2 in light of everything else that the Bible teaches? I, I, I thought about it this way this week. <clears throat> um, I, I, I could give to the poor. Hey, let's, just, let's just take this logic that it's, it's the good deeds that, that proves your salvation. I, I, I could give to the poor. And from what I've read of Bill Gates, I don't know, maybe, maybe Bill Gates is a believer, but from what I've read, I don't know that he's a believer. Well, Bill Gates gives to the poor, does he not? Like, he gives a lot of money to the poor. And so, and so like, like what, what distinguishes us? Because if you're looking on the surface, you would say, well, yeah, they both have good things. And so how, how is this a production or a proof of the salvation that exists within me that may not exist Within him, and if you've noticed, I think what typically happens with people who, who do have a lot of money <clears throat> is they've they've experienced something in their life, and so then they use the resources that they have to give to that cause that they've been affected by. Does that, does that make sense? So if I've been affected gravely by cancer in my life, then then if, if I have the resources and the opportunity to do something about that, then I'm going to give to that cause to try to fight against it in the future. And I think that's the difference is Bill Gates may have the greater good in mind, but the same is true for me, that what I've experienced is greater grace. 
And so then what I'm, what I'm giving, what I'm displaying is, is greater grace, it's greater mercy. Again, what's my motivation? Is it grace or is it greed? And so I, I think the best way to illustrate this, because again, what, what I want to do is, is just present this logic to you this morning to say it's never been about the things that we do, because the things that we do have nothing to do with our salvation, and they have nothing to do with our sanctification. And so you can picture it this way. You have these speakers over here on this side of the stage, right? So just <clears throat> imagine these, and let's just say this is faith. So this is the faith that someone has. They believed, accepted grace, mercy, lavished upon them. So this is faith. And then over here on this side, we got, we got some good stuff. We got name, name your thing, right? Your, your Bible reading, your church attendance, your service, your giving, your praying. So you got all this, all this stuff over here. And so uh, again, I, I think sometimes we, we think about it and we're like, well yeah, well, yeah, without that, then this doesn't exist. But, but the thief on the cross didn't have, didn't have any of this. And, and I think what we lose sight of sometimes is what's in the middle and that's the cross of Christ, that through his grace and through his mercy lavished upon us, it, it does, it gives us the opportunity to do this. But again, we, we do this so often, and the book of James really speaks to this. Don't show partiality. We talked about it last week. There's, there's an antagonist and a protagonist in this book. The, the Pharisees are saying, yeah, we do works of the law. And James is coming back and he's saying, no, you don't. And you think you're blessed by God because you do good things. And so we lose sight of it. And, and, and I, th- I, think, I think what James is attempting to do is just remind us, hey, what's the motivating factor in your life? And as we look at it, it's the cross of Christ. It's his character. It's his nature. And so I think what James is going to do, and again, I, I know we're, we're in the weeds this morning. We're, we're down in the thick of it. And I want to level us back out in just a second and apply this to our lives. But I think what James is doing is he's saying, hey, the, remember what we said last week, that in Genesis, the story begins with creation and God declaring what's good and right in the eyes of himself, not man. And yet we're so quick to exchange that and say we're going to define what's good and right, not what's good and right in the eyes of the Lord. And so, and so this morning, again, like the nature and the character of God is really what he's after in your life, that you're to be an image bearer of him based upon his nature. Well, what is his nature? It's revealed in Exodus 34. We talked about it last week. He's loving kindness. He's steadfast mercy and grace. Like this is the character of God that's revealed in the Old Testament. And so again, I, I, I don't want you to get it confused this morning in thinking that you're saved or you're sustained by the great things or the good things that you do. It's the nature, it's the character of God this morning that James is after. It's faith without the substance of his character, without the substance of his nature. It's dead, it's useless. Again, keep the context. He's talking to believers. And so what does he mean by dead? Does he mean no faith, unsaved? No, it's a useless faith? What good is your faith? What good is my faith if it doesn't rightly display the character of God? If it doesn't rightly showcase his grace and his mercy? So I think that's what James is after this morning. And and for me, as, as I've reconciled this over the course of my life, this makes sense to me. And it doesn't put me in a position to where I feel like I have to justify James in light of Paul. But actually, they're saying the same thing. They've always said the same thing. Scripture's not contradicting itself. There is no conflict here. I think sometimes we make it difficult. And he uses this example at the end of chapter 2. Go to verse 26. This is what he says in 2.26. For as the body 
Without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. The word for spirit there is pneuma or breath. And so I, th- I think what James has in the back of his mind is creation. Again, all these guys knew the Old Testament story. And so just go back to creation with me for just a second. What happens? God creates Adam, right? And so he's physically created. But is he capable of doing anything? No. Until what? Until the breath of God is breathed into him. And for me, as I read it, like, that, like that's, the, that's the motivation. Again, like, like a lifeless body can't do anything until the breath of God comes into him. Breath breathed into him. And now he has an opportunity to do whatever it is that he was going to do. And so this morning, my proposition to you is to stop thinking that you have to do things to prove you are saved. I think we get fixated on that and we forget the reason that we do them. Here's how this relates to us. Because again, the Pharisees of the time would say, I have to do things, I have to keep the law, and then I'm blessed by God. And so they became they became very legalistic in their lives, thinking I have to keep the law to be blessed by God. And we do the same thing in our day and age, do we not? Except the law for us isn't the Old Testament law. The law for us is the things that we talked about. I'm not serving enough. I'm not giving enough. I'm not praying enough. I'm not attending enough. And that becomes the standard by which we judge ourselves and judge everyone. Anybody else been guilty of that? That you look at other people and you're like, I don't know if they're saved. Because they're not. There's not stuff in their life. I don't know if they're saved. And James is going to say in verse 13, he says, we're to judge like the Lord judges with mercy. Let me tell you this morning, it's not for you or I to determine. I don't don't know if someone is saved or not. I can make my assumptions. But again, we we do it based upon the the things that we see, not the heart that's behind them. Because here's, here's the truth this morning. Again, if that's our standard, if that's the law that we're trying to keep, man, I don't attend, I don't serve, I don't pray, I don't give. I don't read enough. Yeah, the truth of the matter is you don't. And so, and so you begin to see how this logic breaks down because it's like, yeah, my faith is proved by the things that I do, but you don't do those things anyway. And so you look into the royal law, the perfect law of liberty, as James 1 describes it, and what do you see? You see a need for mercy. And you see a need that he's lavished it upon you in spite of the things you don't do. And so that becomes the motivating factor behind the things that you do do. Are you motivated by grace or are you motivated by greed this morning? Look at verses 8 through 12. And I want to use an example from the New Testament to maybe help us this morning. Verse 8 says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, and you've probably heard this law before, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he's guilty of all. Do you see what he's saying? The same thing is true for us. We're like, well, I, I, I may not pray enough, but I give, attend, I serve, and I read my Bible enough. And he's like, you're guilty of the whole thing. Like, like our logic just breaks down when all we consume ourselves with are the things that I'm doing. It's a hamster wheel that we get stuck in in life. Like, man, if I could just pray a little more, I think I'd be a good Christian. I think I'd be in favor with God. If I, just, if I just read my Bible a little more, and our motivation becomes the things that we do, not the things that he's done within us. It's always been about the heart. It's never been about the actions. It says you stumble in one point, you're guilty of all. Verse 11, for he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. Now if you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. 
Verse 12, so speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. There's a, a New Testament example that I think speaks to this. And you may be familiar with it. It's a story of the Good Samaritan. Familiar with that, that story? That this man comes to Jesus. Jesus tells him the story. And then his response, I, I think, highlights kind of what we're, what we're hinting at this morning. That the man's response is, okay, yeah, I, I, I get this, but who's my neighbor? He actually asks that question before the story. He says, who's my neighbor? Because Jesus says, hey, keep the law. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor. He's like, okay, all right, great. But again, th this is what we do all the time, right, with, with the things. We're like, okay, but can you define it for me? Like, who, who's my neighbor? What, what exactly am I supposed to do? It's about me doing something. And Jesus responds by telling this story. I'll flip over to it. This is Luke chapter 10. Let me read this for you. At the end of Luke 10, verse 38, he tells the story Jesus does, and he says, so which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves. Do you, do you see what Jesus is doing? That, that really, he, he's taking the question of this man. The, the question of this man is, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus flips it on him, and he's talking about his nature, his character, the man's. And he says, who, who do you think was a good neighbor? And the man responds and says, listen to the language he uses, he who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Like, do, do you see this connection here this morning, that, that as we have faith in the Lord, I think what James is trying to, to draw our attention to are, are the works of God's character, the works of mercy, works of grace, works of patience, works of endurance. And so, and so we're, we're so easy, right? We're looking at this equation, and we're so easy to jump from here to here. I think what James, James is like, hey, focus here. Like, like your focus and your attention should be on the grace and the mercy that you've been shown. And so this morning, as you read the book of James, as, as we look at the word of God, I, I love how the, how the word speaks to us directly. It's easy for us to read this. It's easy for me to read this and say, yeah, see, you. This is the way you need to act. This is what you need to do. But that's the language James uses, you, as in the reader. And so as we read James, it's, it's all applicable to the person that's reading. And, and I'm, I'm right there with probably most of you this morning where I've, I have people in my life I have people that I've seen that have professed faith in Jesus Christ, and I look at their life and I'm like, I don't think you're saved. I don't, I don't know if you're saved. And I'm so easy to judge, not in accordance with the mercy that I've been given, but to the standard that I've set. Now, don't hear me wrong this morning. Oh, I wanna pull this back out. Now, don't hear me wrong this morning in thinking that these things are not important. I think they surely are. I think they do speak to something. But what I want to do is just draw your attention, draw your focus back to what I think James is making the priority this morning. That's what's your motivation. What motivates you? And so as you, as you, as you look at your life, as you look at the things you don't do or the things you're attempting to do, is your motivation what you've been given or is it a standard that you've set in your own life? I think I can earn it. I think I can get in good favor with him. I'll just do a little more. I think that robs us of what James wants to speak to us this morning. He uses this example. Look at chapter two. We'll use this example of Abraham. And I think this, will, this may help just looking at, at his story. Because I think we've looked at this story kind of on, on the surface, and it makes sense on the surface. But I want to see what was really going on behind the scenes with Abraham this morning. This is chapter two. 
Uh, go down to verse um, 21. James says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see, now listen to this language, do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by his works, faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. The story of Abraham. If you don't know it, here's the spark notes overview. Abraham called by God in the Old Testament, right? God tells him, hey, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to do some great things through you. And so what, what the scriptures tell us is that Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, now when did that happen? Well, it, what we find in the Old Testament is that when Abraham, Abraham's living in this land, right, with his family, among, among the people of the nations, and God chooses Abram and calls him out and says, leave everything that you have. And what Abram does is he believes and he leaves. And so what we see is in Genesis 12 or 15, Abraham has faith, his faith. And it was accredited to him as righteousness. But again, I'll, I'll give you the high level overview. Abraham's life after he believed was a wreck, was an absolute wreck. And so again, if we wanna use this logic this morning that what he did not have was good works, because he, he, he tried to sell his wife as his sister. Do you, you think that's acting in accordance with faith? He, he tried to have the promised child that God had promised through him. He tried to have it with somebody who wasn't his wife, Hagar. And then if, if selling his wife as a sister wasn't bad enough the first time, he does it a second time. And so you're watching this story of Abraham unfold as he has faith in the Lord it's credited to him as righteousness, and then his life is a train wreck after that until he gets to the moment where he's willing to sacrifice his son. And so what's happening as we take a step back and we look broadly at the story of Abraham? Abraham is told in Genesis chapter 12, I will make you a great nation. What do you think Abraham heard? I will make you a great nation. If I heard that, Garrett, I will make you a great nation. I'm thinking, man, I gotta come in my way. I got fame and glory power coming my way. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you, is what he tells Abraham. And so everything that Abraham does from the moment that he believes God, and it's accredited to him as righteousness, is self-motivated. You see it? Like he's motivated by greed. He sells his wife as his sister to protect himself. He's like, I don't want them to kill me. And so what he's doing, he's saying, I know God's promised me something, and so I must have to do something in order to fulfill this promise. God, God's not faithful to complete it, what he spoke, and so I'm gonna take matters into my own hands. He sells his sister, or his wife, as his sister. And then he's like, man, there's, there's a child coming through me. All right, well, I need a child. And if the Lord's not gonna provide, then I'm gonna do this by my own means. And so you see him being selfish, selfishly motivated. He's motivated by greed up until the point in time to where he self-sacrifices, he understands the character of God, what God has given to him, what God is doing through him, and he's willing to participate in the equation. Does that make sense? And so he winds up doing the exact thing that God's going to do down the line in sacrificing his only son. It's sacrificial mercy. It's kesed. That's the word that's used in the Old Testament to describe God's character. It's mercy. It's grace. Go back to chapter one and look at verse three. If you have your Bible or your phone, go back there. I think the language here, one, three, and 2.22 will help to connect these dots. One, three, if you remember from last week, it says, count it joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces 
patience. I just want to highlight for you something this morning. That word produces in the Greek text is the same root word as work in chapter 2. Aragon is the word in chapter 2. And so they have the same root word. So you could translate chapter 1, verse 3, as the testing of your faith works patience. And let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So I, th- I think I have a slide that illustrates this. 1, 3, and 2, 22 put up uh, next to each other. So here's what we see. In chapter 1, verse 3, we see faith patience and endurance, and faith being perfected. And if you go back to verse 22 of chapter 2, here's again what it says. You see that faith was working together with his works, and by faith, Abraham's faith was made perfect. And so you're starting to see, I think, I hope, what James is doing in chapter 2. And what I hope it does is it, is it, is it decommits you from this idea or divorces you from this idea that any, any salvation or any sanctification is tied to the things you do? Now again, right, we're all on the same page this morning that uh, should sin abound so grace can abound? Absolutely not. Paul's clear in his language. But I've seen way too many people get so caught up in this idea that it's about the things that we do. And your salvation and your sanctification are less about the things that you're doing and more about the character you're reflecting. And so as you take inventory of your life this morning, what's the reflection in your life? What motivates you? Again, don't, don't jump over, I think, what is the bond between these two? And it's the cross of Christ, the mercy and the grace that he's given to you. This is why I think in Galatians 5, we see the fruits of the Spirit as being character qualities and not things that we do. For the fruit of the Spirit is love. Because you've been loved, now you can show love. And because the joy of the Lord is your strength, you can have joy. Because you have peace with God, you can have peace with other people. Because God's been patient with you, because he's been long-suffering with you, because he's endured with you, you can be patient with other people. Because he's been kind to you, you can be kind to other people. I hope you're seeing it this morning, that again, we're so quick to jump past what's the motivating factor in our life. Are you motivated by grace or are you motivated by greed this morning? All right, I want to pull this back out. I want to apply this to our lives, okay? I want to spend the next 10 minutes applying it. What do you do with this? What do you do with this? How does this impact you? How does this affect your daily walk? What are you to take away from this text? Let's go back to the beginning of chapter 2. Let's read this together. Let's start in verse 2. Here's what James says, for if there should come into your assembly, okay, right, like we're here, we're assembled this morning, there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings in fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit at my footstool, have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil motives. You see it? Like we, like we judge, but we judge with evil motives. And so I think how this applies to our life, what is motivating me in my life? First question I would ask you is what is the motivating factor in your relationships in your life? What's your motivating factor in your relationships in life? Because here's what I know we're quick to do, because I do the same thing sometimes. We're quick to find people who look like us, talk like us, sound like us, act like us, right? And so you can imagine this 
setting, the, the scenario that James paints for us in James 2, 1 through 4, 2 through 4. The assembly, somebody walks in, and maybe somebody walks in and they look like you. Like, man, they look in shape. They look like they care about their physical fitness. And so I'm going to go talk to them. Now, listen, I understand that, that we're all looking for relatability and things that we have in common with people. But again, what's like my question? Are you motivated by grace? Are you motivated by greed? Like, like, like that's motivated by greed, right? They look like me. They dress like me. They talk like me. They act like me. And so we're quick. We're quick, right? Notice what the text says again. It says, and you pay attention, verse 3, and you pay attention to the one wearing fine clothes. That's what we perceive. What do you perceive when you see someone? What's, what's your instinctual takeaway? What's your instinctual response when somebody walks in and they don't look like you, they don't sound like you, they don't act like you, they don't talk like you? We're quick to be motivated by greed in our relationships in that way. We look for people who are similar to us or we look for people who can benefit us, Right? And so in life, we'll try to surround ourselves with people who really fit this logic of, if I do something for them, well, then I get something in return. I think that's what's happening with this man who walks into the assembly. There's a rich man. Imagine it for a second. Imagine it for a second. Somebody walks in to Choice Baptist Church, and they look like they have it all put together. They look like they're extremely wealthy. And so we're quick to say, hey, man, like, you, you, you want a cup of coffee? Like, you, you want a tour of the facility? Why? Because we're so quick to be motivated by what they can give us. We're looking at them as an object that has something to give, not as a person who needs mercy, who needs grace, who needs the love of Christ to display for us in our lives. We're quick to do that. And so maybe, maybe you do this, maybe you do one of these two things across all relationships in your life. Maybe it's your friendships. I surround myself with people who only look, think, and act like me. Or maybe this is true in your marriage or your parenting style. That in my marriage, I'm, I'm, I'm quick, I'm quick, I'm so quick. I do this with Britt all the time, right? She's like, hey, I just want, uh, I shared this with a young, oh, with the young married men last small group semester. I'm like, man, would you guys pray for me? Like, this sounds so simple, but my wife just wants a back massage. Like, it's all she wants. And she's asking me all the time. And I'm so quick to be like, hey, I'll give you a back massage uh, if you'll do this for me. Right? Like, like I'll, I'll do this for you if you do this for me. And that's not the way the character of Christ works. Because listen to me this morning. Do we look like Christ? When he came in and saved you, do you look like him? Do you talk like him? Do you act like him? Do you think like him? No. Or did we have anything to benefit Christ? No. And so again, I think we're quick. We're so quick to not act on the character and the nature of God. Letting our faith have works, works of mercy, works of grace, works of endurance, works of, works of patience with other people. I think we're so quick. What's your motivation in your relationships this morning? Or what's your motivation with your resources? So jump down to verse 15. Let's read this together. James says, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, if you don't give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? But so what's your motivation with your resources, with the things that God's entrusted you with? Are you motivated by greed? Or are you motivated by grace? And see, we set up opportunities here. There's opportunities for you to attend. We have services every week. Every week, we're here 52 weeks out of the year. We set up opportunities for you to serve. 
You can serve the body of Christ through the ministry here. You can give to the ministry here. But all, all those are things. What's the motivation behind you doing those things? And I would be quick to tell you this morning that if, if you check your motivation, and, and, and if you're motivated by guilt, or if you're motivated by um, a desire to be self-satisfied, right? Like you're filling some void in your heart. Like that's greed. And so I would almost encourage it's better not to do. And really fix your, fix your eyes on, on what Christ has done for you. And birthed out of that, then would you begin to serve, to give, to attend based upon what he's done in your life. What's your motivation with your resources? I think of how Jesus spent his resources. He didn't, didn't spare anything. He spent it all. And we talked about the way the gospel works. We talked about that last week. That it's one way at his expense for our benefit. That's the gospel. And we're so easy to take that. And like Paul said to the church at Galatia, you began by the spirit. Are you being perfected by the flesh? I think he wants to do a work in our life related to his nature and his character and bring us back. He's brought me back to that. Where for years I was just hand-strung by the idea, man, I don't know if I'm doing enough. I don't know if I'm attending enough. What's the right standard? You see how the logic breaks down? When is it enough? When we point to someone and we're like, hey, I don't know if they're saved. Okay, well, how many works do they have to do to be saved? For it to make sense in our mind. Well, if they read their Bible four times this week, I, th- I think that's enough. Or if they attend church twice a month, I, I think that qualifies them. See how the logic breaks down. It's not for me to determine. It's between them and the Lord. What I'm to do is judge in accordance with the way he's judged me, mercifully, graciously. What's my motivation? I'm motivated by grace or greed. The good news for you this morning, I think if you're, if you're far from Christ, if you're watching online, never, never accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, know nothing of the saving faith of Christ, and maybe, maybe you're thinking, I've done too much bad. I've done too much bad. And the great news of this message this morning is if we, if we, if we remove ourselves from this idea that it's about works, about things we do, then the logic works both ways now, where there's nothing you can do to earn it and there's nothing you can do to out-sin it. But the grace of God, the mercy of God is available for you just as much as it's available for me. And so if you've walked through life this morning and you've done a ton of bad things, right? Name your bad thing. The, the good news for you this morning is you cannot out-sin the grace of God. And as we get an understanding of that, as we let that take root in our lives and become the motivating factor, I think we'll begin to see life transformation. So it's good news for you this morning. So I'm going to invite the team up. Here's, here's what I want to do. Here's the final thing that, that I'd like to do. So I think that's how you can apply this to your life. And as you just consider the, like the relation, the equation, do you have faith? What's my motivation in my life? Am I motivated by grace? Am I motivated by greed? Am I motivated by self? I'm motivated by the Spirit. What's God done in you? And how can you begin to showcase and display his character? I think the proof of our salvation is in the reflection of the character that we give. And then I'm going to leave the rest up to the Lord. It's not for me to judge. 
I'd like to. I've done it before. That's what I'm relinquishing this morning is, is my, my judgment of other people, my, my selfish judgment, my self-righteous judgment. I'm better than this person because of the things that I do. I'm just laying that at the feet of Jesus. And all the people in my life that I would say, I don't know. I don't know if they're saved. Well, you know what? Either way, they need mercy. And so I'm going to begin to display the character, the nature of who God is. Here's my challenge for you this week. I think that's how you can apply it broadly to your life. What's your motivation in your relationships? What's your motivation with your resources? And is the motivating factor in your life the grace of God, or is it your selfish greed? Here, here at Choice, we, our strategy is, is MRI. We want to minister to people, we want people to build relationships, and we want people to get involved. And so this morning, here's what you can do. Very practically, even, even leaving here after the service is over. You're, you're going to leave here, and you're going to talk to somebody in the lobby. Or you're, you're going to leave here, and you're going to find someone once the service ends, and you're going to find someone, or maybe you won't find anyone. And my challenge to you my commission to you is would you look for somebody who doesn't look like you, somebody who doesn't act like you, somebody who may not think like you, but somebody that you can begin to build a connection with, build a relationship with based upon what Christ has done for you and the mercy that he's shown you. So we want to build relationships. We think relationships are important. But if you're doing that after the service just because I said to do it, then I would encourage you not even to do it. But would you consider where, where's my heart this morning? What's motivating me? How can I connect with someone who may need mercy? Or, or the other thing you do, we think that the eye is important. So we want to minister to people, we want people to build relationships, and we want people to get involved. And you can get involved in a number of different ways. Like we talked about, you, you can do these things. You can serve, you can give, you can pray for Fall Fest. Like there are practical things that you can do that you can begin to put your faith into action. But again, don't lose sight of what bridges the gap between the two. And so would you consider that same question this morning? What's motivating me to get involved? Do I feel guilty? Listen, if you feel guilty this morning about getting involved, that's, that's still selfish. That's still self-motivated. I'm trying to satisfy the, the guilty feeling that I have in my life. I don't want to feel guilty anymore. And so I'm going to serve. That's the flesh. That's selfish. But the only reason that I serve is because he laid his life down for me. He laid his life down for you. If you don't know Christ this morning, I would just encourage you. Would you consider what he's done in light of what we have not done? That we continually fall short of this perfect law of liberty. And yet he continually shows us grace and mercy in spite of what we don't do. He died for you. He died for me. He shed his blood on Calvary. So we could have an eternal life spent with him. That's the good news for you this morning. So I, that's how I would challenge you this morning. How, how can you apply this to your life? The other thing I would challenge you to do is just be a good Berean and read the text. Study James chapter 2 in the context of the book and ask the Lord to speak to you. He spoke to me. And he's helped me to understand and reconcile, I think, where Paul and James are oftentimes viewed as conflicting one another. So what's my motivation? Is it grace or is it greed? How are you treating other people? Is it through grace or is it through greed? How are you spending your time, your talent, and your treasure? Is it through grace or is it through greed? 
Who can you find after the service? Talk to them, love them, care for them like Christ has cared for you. Or how can you get involved based upon what he's done in and through you? I I was thinking about this this week, and I, I thought the way we treat others, right? We think of the golden rule, treat others as you'd like to be treated. I'm like, that makes total sense. I also want to treat others like Christ has treated me. And so just on a daily basis, if you just consider that, how am I living that out? Am I treating others the way Christ has treated me? Am I dealing with others the way Christ has dealt with me? What's your motivation this morning? Is it the grace of God or is it selfish greed? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word and Lord for for using it, for using it in my life, just for the great things that, that you've done in and, and through my life and, and how you've used the word just to rebuke and correct and refine and shape. And, and Lord, I think about this book and, and how, Lord, it's, it's, it's settled. And I, I thank you for speaking and making it clear. And I, I pray that you would do the same for all of us, Lord, that that we'd have a right understanding of, of who James is, who he's speaking to, and what he's trying to say. And God, that we would know full well that while there are good things for us to do and walk in, Lord, if we're not careful, Lord, we'll get so bound up in the good things and define our faith by the things that we do and not what you've done for us. And so, Lord, would you remind us of the grace of that you've given. Remind us of the mercy that you've given. And I pray that our faith would work in accordance with that, that that would be the relationship. Lord, loving kindness, steadfastness, endurance, in spite of what happens in our life. And Lord, we'd leave the rest up to you. Thank you for our time together. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.